Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Along Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It was a wire-to-wire 36-27 win over USC on Saturday night. Uh, it was honestly not as close as the final scoreboard would suggest. Uh, Bo Nix was incredible. Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson, incredible. Defensive line, incredible. Uh, good win overall. I think Oregon fans should feel pretty good about it. Um, frustrating in a few areas, but overall I think they feel pretty good. We're going to talk a little bit about that at the top. Um, I'm going to get into all of that, get into some of my biggest takeaways from the day, look elsewhere in the Pac-12 and at the world of college football as a whole. A lot to get into, of course, on a Sunday morning, so thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. I want to start with an overarching theme and kind of a general feeling for this game that I had that I know that a lot of fans have had. Um, Just ask yourself a question. Are you a bit frustrated with this win? Uh, You know, obviously it's a a win over USC and it's, you know, Bo Nix had an incredible game. There was some really good stats, but are you completely satisfied with this win? Because I don't think that Oregon fans should be. I mean, as a just someone who watched it from an unbiased perspective without a rooting interest, I, I, you know, Oregon did not play as well as they should have. Um, they, they honestly didn't play super well at all outside of a few uh, really massive plays on offense. Like I said, the defense did pretty well. Um, they kind of gave up some some points there at the end that made the score look a little bit closer than it was. But overall, it was a sloppy game. I mean, 13 penalties for Oregon, 120 yards of penalties. Um, that's double their their game average so far this year, and their average of 64 per per game is already ranked 113th in the nation. So double that, and what is it? Not very good. Um, a ton of missed opportunities, and just like I said, a very a sloppy overall game. There wasn't really much of a run game. I know there was a, a ton of passing yards. Bonix had uh, 412 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. We're going to get more into that in just a second, but. Um, you know, outside of a few huge plays, a handful of huge plays on offense and some uh, some good stops on defense. I don't want to take anything away from the defense the first three quarters because they were really solid. But, you know, it's, it's clear that the Ducks did not play their best game. Um, despite all of that, with all of that being said, they still won by nine points against a rival and they were up by 22 points early in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so much room to grow still, and there's, there's so much, they can play so much better going forward. I think that we've seen before how good they can look when they play at their best. We saw them in that Utah game. Um, you know, that score, the 35 to six on the road, it may not look like their most dominant win of the year because, you know, they only scored 35 points. Um, Utah's defense is really good. So in doing that on the road in Utah and, you know, watching that game, you can just see how, physically mismatched the two teams were and how dominant of a performance that was that's the ceiling for this team i think that's what we've seen them at their best this year so far and last night was not that same that same team wasn't that same type of performance but still you get a big win so i think that you're encouraged that even on a game where where you play like this um and you can still get the win 
you you feel like you can get better and there's there's a small silver lining in that too because this team is really hungry still. I mean, going into this next week, I know fans are they're a bit uneasy about the game down at Arizona State, and understandably so. Uh, strange things happen when you go down to the desert in November, or any Oregon fan that knows what they're talking about knows that that's the case. So, um, But I think it's it's a small silver lining that Oregon did not play their best against USC because they're still very hungry right now. They know that they've got a lot to work on. They know that they can get better. So they're going to be very focused in practice this week and and not taking anything lightly because, um, and that's not to say that they ever take anything lightly. They're, they've proven to be a very good, well-coached team thus far. But um, I, I just feel good that this will not be a, a letdown, look-ahead opportunity because the Ducks know that they're not playing to the level that this should be right now. They're not playing up to their standard. They did not against USC at least. And so I think they'll be working hard this week to try and get back to that level. Real quick, before we get uh, deeper into the game, let's talk quickly about the the college football coaching carousel ramping up. Uh, Sunday morning news broke that Jimbo Fisher was fired by Texas A&M. And as you would expect, Dan Lanning was named as one of the top candidates for the job. Now, let's be very, very clear about this one thing. That's not a report or anything. That's not saying that Dan Lanning is likely going to get the job or he's you know, the, the leading candidate. He's most likely to ha- have that happen. That's not a report. It's just saying that if the Aggies you know, on their big board, when they're, when they're out looking for potential coaches to talk to, it's not going to be a surprise to have them call Lanning and his agent and just say, hey, we've got a job. We want you. What's it going to take to get you away from Eugene? Um, you know, it means absolutely nothing. So as Oregon fans don't freak out that the landing is leaving Eugene for college station, I can say, I feel very confident that that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I, I don't think that Dan is leaving Eugene anytime soon. I think he's here for, I've said before, a, a minimum of a few years going forward. Cause he's really building something and obviously it's working so far. So, um, and on top of that, the only thing that Texas A&M has to offer Dan that you know Oregon isn't offering right now is money. They've got a ton of money that they can throw at him because you know everything else he's kind of got in Eugene. He's got what he needs. He's got the recruiting. He's got the facilities. He's got the infrastructure. And honestly, he's got quite a bit of money here in Eugene too. And I would not be surprised at all if he's able to turn this into another raise or another contract extension because – um, it's showing that he is coveted and he's worth it and that he could leave somewhere else and um, get that higher salary and get more money. So, um, and if this season keeps going the way it is, I, I expect him to get another contract extension or a raise next year. It's just kind of how things work in college football. So, you know, long answer short, I know duck fans have been burned. So it's, it's understandable that they're going to see this news, see these rumors that landing is the lead candidate to take a, a the Texas A&M job. Just, just relax a little bit. It's, it's just, a, it's not a report. It's just rumors. It's just a, a coaching big board. This is the college football coaching carousel. We go through it every year. If you've got a really good up and coming young head coach, like Dan Lanning, one of the best coaches in the game, He's going to get on those big boards. He's going to be talked about going from, you know, a Pac-12 school or a Big Ten school to an SEC school. That's just how it happens. None of that means that he's actually going to leave. So just don't take it all with a grain of salt. No, this is not a report. It's just rumors right now. And it's not even not even rumors with legs. It's just, just people talking, um, throwing ideas out and just seeing what sticks. So 
Um, we'll see where it goes over the next week, but I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk to Dan about it on Monday night when we talk to him, um, see what he has to say, but I can already predict what's his, what he's going to say that he's got, um, no reason to leave Eugene. He, he loves it here. His family loves it here. And, um, he's got some building in the right direction. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes over the next few days. But right now I think it's just, it's much ado about nothing. All right, let's talk about this game. Uh, can we start with Bo Nix? Um, at one point in the game, at one point in the first quarter, he was two for two for 161 yards with two touchdowns and a quarterback rating of over 1,100, which, to be honest, was not a number that I thought um, that I was aware could be achieved from a quarterback. So um, just just incredible. Um, you know, he, he had such a good game. This is back-to-back games for him where he's put up those Heisman caliber numbers. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago that while he was so consistent and so accurate and just never made mistakes, it would behoove him a little bit to have these games where he puts up 300 plus three touchdowns and just gets a big win. He's done that back-to-back games. Now he finished 23 for 31 in this game through for 412 yards and four touchdowns. Um, as of Sunday morning, he is in, depending on where you look, where I look at FanDuel Sportsbook, he's leading the Heisman odds. Uh, he's minus 115 odds to win that. Michael Penix is in second at, I think, plus 200 is what it was. Um, just a, a really incredible performance for him. And it's not like it's surprising at all. I mean, I knew he could do this. You knew he could do this. Everyone in the nation who's watched him during his college career knew he could do this. Um, it's just kind of, you know, I don't want to, say too much get too far ahead of us but it's just it's been fun to watch the fact that he's been able to kind of he came into the season with so much hype and the you know there was the billboards in new york and and down in dallas and there was this heisman campaign that was starting for him and he's delivered on it he's you know bo nicks midway through november is leading the heisman trophy race um which is not something we've obviously seen since marcus mariota in 2014 so um, we'll see how he finishes out the year. I don't think that Oregon fans should have any doubt that he can keep up this pace, maybe not throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns every game, but, um, he doesn't need to, I mean, we've said that before. He, he needs to do his average 250 yards, two touchdowns, no picks every game. And as long as Oregon keeps winning, um, it's, it's going to be his award to lose. And so depending on what Michael Penix does, he had another good game. Um, it, was not quite the numbers that Bo had, but another really solid game for Michael Penix. At this point, it's looking like as as long as Oregon and Washington match up in the Pac-12 championship, I I assume that the winner of that game is going to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, that just seems to be how all things are playing out. Um, you know, I, I think that the winner of that game is going to get a lot of things because obviously, winner gets Pac-12 title. It's looking like winner is probably going to get a spot in the college football playoff. And the the winning quarterback is probably, like I said, going to get that precious, precious hardware. So, so big things ahead there to look forward to. One other thing with Bo, um, just the, the connection that he's developed with Troy Franklin, I've found to be very special. They've really, those two are so dynamic together on the field. Obviously we can talk about Tez Johnson as well. Tez had a big game, but um, just the, the way that Franklin and, and Nick's have been able to hook up for some of these uh, long balls so far this year has been really incredible. Troy again had a great game, only two catches, but those two catches went for 127 yards and one touchdown. He had the longest touchdown of his career, the 84 yarder 
in the first quarter um, that if you haven't seen the replay of that, go watch it. Cause it's incredibly funny. He just outran the safety and kind of turned around and made him look pretty silly, but um, it it's becoming time that we need to start having a bigger conversation about Troy Franklin, because at this point, I mean, when you look at the history of Oregon football, they don't really have, um, I don't want to say they don't have a history of great receivers because they've, they've had some really, really good receivers come to the program over the, the past several decades. They don't have a clear cut greatest of all time wide receiver. I mean, you could argue it's uh, Sammy Parker, Josh Huff, Jeff Mayle, Keenan Howry. I mean, there's, there's several names that deserve to be in consideration this is getting to the point where Troy Franklin could absolutely take that, uh, take that title and take that crown for himself after this year is over. Um, he's fewer than 100 yards away from the single season uh, yardage record. Um, I think he needs about 90 to catch Dylan Mitchell from um, from last decade, and he's one touchdown short of tying the single season touchdown record. Um, that is currently held by Jeff Mail and Josh Huff at 12 and Troy's got 11. So um, like I said, there's, we'll see how this continues to play out over the next few games, but there's a really good case that Franklin is going to be uh, probably the best Oregon wide receiver when all is said and done. I don't think that he's going to get up to the, uh, the career yardage total that some of the others have um, ahead of him. But when you look at the single season records and what he's been able to do this season alone, um, it's been truly remarkable. So I can't wait to see how he finishes out this season. A couple more things about this game before we get into our, uh, you know, our look around the rest of the pack 12, the defensive line was really, really solid in this game. They only allowed 73 rushing yards. They got three sacks. Uh, they had 23 total pressures on Caleb Williams, 19 hurries. Um, just for reference, USC averaged 160 yards on the ground, so they held them to, to less than half of that. Caleb Williams was, you know, he was feeling it all night. Um, they they just had him running around all through the backfield and and just constantly keeping him under duress. And you know, he he still made incredible plays because he's Caleb Williams. He's the reigning Heisman winner and going to be the number one draft pick in um, a handful of months. So it's, it's not surprising that he was still able to get his, he had a a pretty solid stat line, but regardless, the defense did a really nice job against him. Um, I thought they were super impressive stopping the run, um, which is a a really solid job getting after the passer, mucking up the rushing lines and just kind of dominating that trenches. As far as potential injuries go, there were a few scares. Um, I think from what we know right now, they are just that scares. I don't think that they're anything too serious. We'll wait and see as the rest of the week goes on. But Jackson Powers Johnson was dinged up in the first half. He left early into halftime. Uh, he did come back out, um, out of the locker room in the second half and played the rest of the game. So um, I saw him walking around after the game. He was not wearing any braces or or anything on his knees or ankles that he's walking with a slight limp but you know at this point in the season everyone's walking with a slight limp those people are those guys are feeling it they're everyone's a little bit dinged up bucky irving uh, i think he got rolled up on at some point uh it was his i think it was his left ankle he uh hopped off the field during the uh, third quarter slammed his helmet on the ground seemed to be in, in quite a bit of pain went into the medical tent got his ankle taped up came back in um 
actually ended up running for a touchdown not long after that and then had some big plays in the fourth quarter too to seal the game so i think he's you know he's hurt he's not injured i think like i said he's dinged up a little bit but that's a a really tough guy i think that he's going to be fine going forward uh the most concerning one of the the injuries last night was Kyrie jackson he left i think it was midway through the third quarter went into the medical tent, um, came out of the tent and went into the locker room and then later returned in street clothes. So um, I don't know what he injured, how injured he is, um, what that's going to impact going forward, but it'll be something to watch at practice this week. We'll make sure to keep a close eye on that. The good news for Oregon is that they do have, you know, a week to play with and make sure that they're ready to go against Oregon state, because while you are giving your full attention to Arizona state, um, and they are a team that seems a little bit feisty and dangerous right now. Like they picked up another win against UCLA. I, I don't think that the caliber of talent is even close to the Ducks. So I think that Oregon should be able to put that game away with some relative ease. And if you can get through that without playing someone like Kyrie Jackson and not have to rely on him, I think that could behoove you going forward because then you get them a week off. You make sure they're healthy going into Oregon State game. Make sure they're healthy going into potential Pac-12 title game, and then you're uh, you're good to go going forward. All right, let's talk elsewhere in the Pac-12 real quick. Um, there was not two. I mean, there was a few notable games. Uh, the most important game, I think, was definitely Washington versus Utah. Uh, that was a, a very entertaining game to watch. It was a barn burner for the first half. I think Utah was leading at halftime. Washington ended up coming out and winning uh, 35-28. to 28. Um, it was a really just a really solid performance by both teams. Of course, Utah's offense just couldn't quite get it done in the second half. But um, if you're looking at that, I think you feel that as an Oregon fan, I think that you feel confident that Oregon just played Utah way better than Washington did. I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think anyone outside of Washington fans believes that Washington is the best team in the conference right now. It feels like a pretty... Um, unanimous decision from most people in the media and most fan bases that despite that head-to-head win that Washington had over Oregon a few weeks ago, Oregon's playing like the better team right now. They're playing like the more dominant team. They're a more complete team um, in every facet of the game. So um, you would have liked to see uh, Oregon beat USC by more just because Washington beat them by 10 last week. Oregon beat them by nine, you know, but again, we we talked about that. Or we talked about that earlier. It could have been a much bigger margin of victory if you know Oregon got out of their own way. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, Colorado kept it pretty tight against Arizona. Uh, Arizona won that thirty-four thirty-one on a last-second field goal. Um, Colorado was pretty much not able to get bowl eligible anymore. I think they're sitting at four wins. Let me check who are their last two games against. Last two games against Washington State, they could probably win that because Washington State is very bad. Um, then the final game of the year is against Utah. I don't see them winning that. So they'll need both of those wins to, to become bowl eligible, which would be awesome. I think everyone would love to see Colorado in a bowl game, but I don't see that happening. Maybe the surprise of the night was Arizona State uh, beating UCLA 17-7. to um, Chip Kelly is now on the hot seat with the Bruins. Um, the you know they're they're having a very interesting season. They've got three quarterbacks, four quarterbacks, which means obviously they have no quarterbacks that they feel comfortable with. 
Um, you know, good for Kenny Dillingham. He's, I don't know how he's doing what he's doing. That roster down in Arizona state is, um, probably one of the worst in the conference. They've got very few scholarship players. They're playing a lot of walk-ons. Um, then, but they're finding a way to get it done and Dillingham's doing a great coaching job. Um, they're playing solid defense. Of course, UCLA's offense isn't that great, but um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of fight they can put up against the Ducks next week. Because, like I said, the uh, the difference in talent between those two rosters is it's a pretty big gap. So, but you know, good for them. They looked good. Um, it's it's going to be at least fun to watch how that game goes next week. Uh, California beat Washington State. I don't need to get too much into that. Neither of those teams really have much of a say in the Pac-12 title race. I don't think either are going to be bowl eligible either. Uh, biggest win of the night, it probably went to Oregon State. They beat Stanford 62-17. to Obviously, Stanford's not a great team, but I didn't think Oregon State could really ever put up 62 points, so I was definitely impressed by that. Um, going forward, Oregon State has Washington next week, and then they've got Oregon the week after that, so while everyone is, you know, hoping and, and fingers crossed for this Washington versus Oregon Pac-12 championship game, Oregon State's got a chance to really put a wrench in that over these next two weeks. They play both of those teams. Um, they're, I think, they're capable of beating both of those teams. They're a very, very solid team, both offensively and defensively. So um, those are going to be two really, really important games coming up and, and really fun ones to watch. Zooming out to some of the top games in the nation, uh, it really, you know, there was some opportunity for chaos this week. You had games between Michigan and Penn State, uh, Georgia and Ole Miss, um, Miami and Florida State. There was some opportunity for upsets, but really not much happened at all. Michigan got their win over Penn State. Georgia got a blowout win over Ole Miss. They look like one of the best teams in the country, probably the best team in the country right now, if I'm being honest. Uh, Miami almost um, almost pulled it off against Florida State, but the Seminoles got ended up getting that in the end. Um, so really, overall, not a not a huge weekend for upsets. There were some down in the the teens where some teams lost and moved down and moved up, but nothing really that impacted Oregon going forward. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Um, the plan is to come back probably on Wednesday. I will once again break down the latest college football playoff rankings. I don't think that there will be too much to talk about because, you know, the like I just said with the, the national rankings, I don't think that um, not much happened. No upsets really happened at the top this last week. So there are going to be a few changes down in the teens and the 20s. But for the most part, I think the top eight, top nine teams are going to stay where they are. Like I said last week, um, I was supposed to have Jonathan Stewart on um, late last week for an interview. He had to push that back. I'm trying to get him on hopefully Monday or Tuesday, get that interview with him. That will be part of the the Wednesday podcast if I can get him. We're just kind of dealing with schedules right now. So that can be a uh, you know maybe a happy surprise for you guys on Wednesday. I might have Jonathan Stewart on the show. If not, um, I'll figure something else out going forward. But um, that's the plan right now. Look for this on Wednesday, maybe Wednesday afternoon, um, just depending on when that interview happens, if it does happen. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I will talk to you guys later this week. Until then, take it easy. Bye.